great to be back this afternoon. We appreciate everyone making the effort to be here with us as we have our afternoon service. And we covered this morning in sort of the first half, or the first quarter, rather, of uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to kind of get to the, the, the end of this section on walking in unity. We talked this morning about the basis of our unity, how it's not unity for unity's sake, but it's based in the things of God and who He is and what He means to us, what He's done for us. We talked about the elements of unity, those seven ones that we find, one body, uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, so on and so forth. We talked about also that Jesus Christ is the source of our unity and that all the the blessings that we have, the the different talents and abilities that we're going to talk about here in a minute, that He is the giver of those gifts and our unity is possible because of Him and uh, the blessings that we have in that unity only come through him as well. I forgot to move my screen out here, so I'm just going to do that real quick. I apologize for that. But as we uh, go into the rest of the, this section uh, through verse number 16 of Ephesians 4, a few things we want to talk about. I'm not going to keep you long this afternoon, but I do want to talk about what Paul transitions into here, and that is the diversity that is found in unity. Uh, also, the purpose of our unity and the ultimate goal of that unity. And so, as we talk about the diversity of unity, verses four through excuse me, verses eleven through twelve, Paul says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And I guess it's one of the great sort of dichotomies, if you will, of unity is that diversity is found in it. It flourishes where there's diversity. I guess diversity is kind of one of the big buzzwords of our culture these days, and not necessarily in a good way. Um, Everybody thinks that everybody should be equal in everything and, and all that kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about coming together as individuals that make up the body of Christ. And each one of us has diverse talents and gifts, abilities, um, and so on and so forth, and that, the, that we come together, that we become more than just the sum of our parts. It's, it's not just additive, it's multiplicative. I think that's a word. I'm pretty sure that's a word. It becomes not just adding one talent and another talent, but when we all come together, the unity that we have in our diversity grows and becomes something much bigger than just the sum of our parts. And I think that's what Paul is trying to get across here when he's talking about what God has given. He's given, he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave evangelists, shepherds, that would be elders, pastors, some versions say pastors, teachers, so on and so forth. And our tendency is when we get to these kinds of passages to really, I think, focus on the assembly of the church when it comes to, you know, I think, and I think it's just because it's low-hanging fruit. It's kind of a softball to talk about, well, not everybody's a song leader, not everybody's a public speaker. But I want us to sort of think outside that smaller box, if you will. Certainly that's included in what he's saying here. But I want us to sort of think outside that box a little bit and consider just uh, us as the family of God, as, as God's church, the talents and abilities that we all have outside of this, inside and outside of the assembly. Because there's so much more to what he's talking about here than just the assembly. There are things that go on outside as far as ministering. We've got a whole sick list that we talk about, people that need help. Uh, taking the gospel to the lost, so on and so forth. There's so many talents and abilities, so many things to do in the church that are, are much more than what we just do here in the assembly. And 
I think most of you know how important the assembly is to me and what I think about that, but again, this is even bigger than just that. So as we come into this, there's a few things I want to consider. Uh, you know, he gave some apostles, some prophets, evangelists, so on and so forth. We found a very similar passage that, that Trevor actually referenced uh, in his remarks at the table this morning that I want to cover in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so he's, it's, it's pretty interesting to me. He's talking about unity, but then he brings up this word individually. And so that's, that's showing us that obviously the body is made up of many members. And so he said, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. And so, and granted, the problem here at Corinth was he's dealing mainly, I think, with spiritual gifts, with, with gifts of miraculous nature. And so, you know, Danny has been talking about the, the division that was there at Corinth, about about certain things. One of the main dividing issues that was going on there were these gifts of, these miraculous gifts that they'd been given and some elevating people up because they had supposedly the better gifts and so on and so forth. And what Paul is trying to say is like, we're all part of the same team here. We all, yes, we all do have different gifts, but we're all part of the same team. We're all coming together for the same purpose. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, so on and so forth. Built into each one of these rhetorical questions is the answer, no, we're not all of those things. And so, yes, as we, as we sort of stereotypically say, we're not all song leaders or we're not all public speakers, but, you know, we're not all capable of, of sort of naturally building relationships. I've said it before. I've confessed it from this pulpit before. I'm a recovering introvert. It's hard for me to connect with people. I have a wife that does it by instinct. It's just who she is. And so we all have different talents and abilities when it comes to seeing to the, to the needs of the church and spreading the gospel and helping people in need. It's, it, we all, we're all on the same team. And it's easy, I think, sometimes for us to... Um, my brother last week talked about how we used to put those evangelists up on a pedestal when they would come into town. You know, and I would... Um, you know, one of mine was, was Mike McCorkle, like he mentioned, David Minson... I had a great fondness for David Minson when I was a kid because he, you know, he came into our home, he stayed with us, he would joke around with us, and he took me on a trip one time, and I just made a connection with him. And, you know, we would put those evangelists up on a pedestal, but you know what, they're just men. They got flaws, they make mistakes, just like the rest of us. And so I think we have to kind of get past this idea of one role is more important than another when it comes to the church, and that's exactly what he's hitting when he gives this idea of, you know, we got all these, these different roles and responsibilities, and he's telling us what those are aiming towards, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's what it's all for. It's not about who can have the best gifts. It's about who can, how can we come together individually and equip the saints for the work of the ministry and build up the body of Christ. If you back up in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks a little bit, that analogy of the human body, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body we think, we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. He's talking about now the human body. I just can't say, well, I don't need my eye anymore, or I don't need my foot. I remember uh, many, many years ago, uh, Brother Dustin Keel was given a lesson in Amarillo, and he talked about his little toe. 
and he broke his little toe, and he talked about how, that, how life-changing that was for him. He said, that made a big impact on my life. I don't ever think about my, little, my, my toe, but when I broke it, man, that made an impact in my life. I had to make some adjustments. And I, I feel like that's sort of the, the point that Paul is trying to make here. You know, sometimes we may feel, well, my role is insignificant. I don't have much to contribute. But I'm just going to tell you right now, and specifically when it comes to the assembly, when you're not here, you're missed. And when you're not part of, the, part of the group, you're missed. And everybody is essential. Everybody is part of this deal. And we're all working together. He goes on to say, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. And again, he's using that, that comparison of the human body, human body. And, hey, we've got some unpresentable parts that are, that are pretty unpresentable. I've got a lot of unpresentable parts. What do I do? I treat that with greater modesty. I cover it up the best that I can. My, my wife gives me a hard time about the vests that I like to wear in the, in the wintertime when it gets cool. And I say, hey, a vest covers a multitude of sins. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to have those vests. I like it when the wintertime rolls around. And uh, what do we do? Well, those, you know, I still need those parts of my body. But I, but I treat them with greater honor, with greater modesty. Uh, maybe my face should be qualified in that too. I don't know. But at any rate... He switches now over, and now he's going to talk about the body of Christ in comparison to that. He says, which are more, um, which are more presentable parts not required, but God has composed the body, the body of Christ, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Laying aside our pride. Finding our place in the body is far more useful than to try to do everything or everybody striving to do the same things, uh, to, to strive for those prestigious talents. That is not to say that we shouldn't grow ourselves. In fact, that's part of this entire passage, what it's about, for the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ, making the body grow. Not that we shouldn't strive to develop new talents. We should strive to do that, but why are we doing it? Is it just so I can say I've got that talent and now I'm more important because I've got that talent? No, it's because I can contribute to the growth of the body. Our talents should equip and build up the brethren. You know, as leadership, the elders and deacons of this congregation, if we're doing all the work, then we've completely missed the point. If, if, we, if, if the, just the elders and the deacons and their wives are doing all the work, we failed at our job because our job is to equip the saints so that then somebody can go and help someone else and teach them how to help someone else and teach them how to help someone else. And we all grow together. And so, you know, as an elder of this congregation, if you feel like that you are not equipped to do what you need to do, please come and speak to me and Carrie. And we can try to help you in that and do our best to, to figure out how this all works together because that's exactly what Paul is trying to get across here. So let's talk about the purpose of unity and, you know, something that, that Paul says here, let's read this passage real quick, Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I want to notice something that, that he says here, talking about until we attain to the unity of the faith. If you remember at the beginning of our, our, our passage this morning, he says in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the faith. 
But here he's saying, until we attain it. Well, how can you maintain something you haven't already attained? And I think this goes along with this concept that we've been hearing pretty regularly in our services lately, in that concept of growth and maturity, uh, continuous improvement, as Justin talked about. The fact that he's saying, well, you need to maintain the unity of faith, but you need to keep striving for unity until you attain the unity of the faith. And what he's saying here is it doesn't stop. This isn't something that we, we get to a point and say, oh, we've accomplished the unity of the faith. Now we can work on something else. No. We keep going. Until we attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is there anyone here who thinks they've attained to be the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? I'm not going to make that claim, and I don't think anyone else would make that claim either. But that's what we're all working towards, and maybe together as the body, we can move forward towards that a little bit more every day. I read a book in the last few years that asked a question, what's the most important step a man can take? And at first, uh, this man thought the answer was, well, the first step. But after going through some things, he realized, oh, the, the most important step a man can take is the next one. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We're moving forward towards the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Are we ever going to get there? Probably not in this lifetime. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to get there. So as we look at this passage a little bit deeper, he says, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know, as we consider about being tossed to and fro, I, I thought of this passage we read about in James that kind of, I don't know if it's necessarily directly related to what he's talking about, but I think it gives us an idea of what causes us to be tossed to and fro. So he says in verse number five of James one, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So there's that idea of being tossed about by the wind. Uh, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So James speaks to this idea of being tossed, tossed about, tossed to and fro. And it stems from an attitude of doubt, of being uncertain. The one who doubts is like, a, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He's double-minded. He's unstable. He's like a little kid. That's what he says, you, that we be no longer children. And I think we all understand, especially those of us that have kids or have had kids, we understand the, the attention span of kids. Um, and I guess from the age of until they learn to start talking and reasoning and asking questions and until the point at some, some point in their 20s, I guess, when they, their brain finally fully develops, you know, they're, they're like, they're tossed to and fro. Their, their attention span, they, they reach for anything. They, they reach for trends. They reach for, for what's, what's trendy and what the new, new style is. You know, I think that's a lot when you look at our religious culture, I guess, that we have in the United States. It's very trendy. Uh, when I was a, in the fourth or fifth grade, there was a trend where we all wore the stonewashed jeans, and then we would go down and we'd take the, the cuff of our jeans and wrap them tight and roll them up. And if you didn't roll up the, the cuff of your jeans, what's the point of coming to school? Uh, that's just, that was just the trend, you know. And you weren't cool if you didn't do that. That was a trend. Nobody in their right mind does it today, I don't think. Maybe that's, that style will come back around, I don't know. But 
He's saying here, don't be trendy. Don't follow the, the latest religious fads. You need to be strong. You need to be stable in your faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, and your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So these words, we're, we're drawing connections here with these words cunning and deceitful or deceived. He says, these lead you astray. What happens when we're unstable? What happens when we're double-minded? What happens when we're tossed about by the waves? We become deceived, easily deceived. False doctrine creeps in. Things like that. The effects of individual deception are like the effects of individual growth. When we grow individually, we grow collectively as well. But if we're deceived individually even, that can creep in and affect the rest of the body. And so he says, I'm, I'm afraid. He tells the church of Corinth, I'm afraid that you're, le- you're led astray from a sincere, sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. He goes on to say, if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You're just accepting whatever comes along. Kind of like what he told the church at Galatia. He said, he said I'm amazed that you've so soon received another gospel, which is not another. And so I think we see the importance of being stable, not being shifted away from our devotion to Christ. And coming together in unity is a big part of preventing that, of of coming together as God's family. So what's the goal of unity? You know, we mentioned earlier uh, that God doesn't want unity for unity's sake. We talked about uh, Babel and how God confused the language of a, of a people that were united. He caused division among them because they weren't united in him. And even when it comes to godly unity, God is not wanting godly unity just for godly unity's sake. There's a purpose behind it. There's a plan behind it. We've talked about it a little bit, which is to not be these children that are tossed to and fro, but to be grown-ups, to be people who are strong in their faith and who aren't easily deceived, who come together and the body grows in that. Verse 4, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 15, he says, Rather, so rather than being those children tossed to and fro, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's quite a bit going on here, but I think it's pretty straightforward for us to consider this, really. So these phrases, to grow up, in every way, into Christ. Um, verse 15 here, it's, a, it's a, just a direct contrast to verse 14 when you think about it. And so rather than being like children, tossed to and fro, we're instead to grow up. Instead of being children, we're supposed to be grown-ups. And, but that growth, it only happens in Christ. And most of you probably remember, as, as I've gone through my studies in Ephesians, Paul keeps going back to this concept over and over of being in Christ. The blessings that come only from in Christ. We are raised because we're with Christ or in him or in the beloved, in the Son of God. And he doesn't stop that as he goes on forward. The growth, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head. And just in case we're confused about who that is, it's Christ. Christ is the head. And we grow up into him. The growth that happens only happens because it's Christ. Any other growth that happens, who cares? Because it's not the growth we want. Ephesians chapter 2 again, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers 
and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is, he's basically almost quoting his own letter here as he goes back, goes back and talks about this. We see this, in whom the whole structure being joined together, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, being joined together grows into a holy temple. I mean, this is all, all the same. And we find another passage here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, that is very similar as well. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not being and not holding fast to the head. That's key, holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom, from Christ, the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. That's what we want right there. We grow with a growth that is from God. Any other growth doesn't matter. Only through Christ can we grow with a growth that is from God. Again, very similar language between these two passages, from the whole body nourished and knit together, the whole body joined and held together by every joint, through its joints and ligaments. And, you know, something else that I've noticed as, as I've gone through my studies in Ephesians and listening to some of the other guys, their studies, Colossians, uh, Philippians, so on and so forth, there's such a consistent message in the writers of the New Testament, and specifically Paul. I mean, here we have Paul writing two different letters, but there's such a consistency in the writings of the New Testament that, that just give me an extreme amount of faith-building uh, experience. Because I know that when Paul wrote to, to Ephesus, he wrote the same message that he wrote to Colossae, and that he wrote to Corinth, and that he wrote to the churches in Galatia, and that Peter wrote, and that James wrote. They all were writing the same message, and there is no schism. There is no deviation the New Testament writings, the Old Testament writings, they all harmonize. And the message that we see here is if we want to come together in unity, and we want to come together in a godly unity. And that unity is to serve the purpose. And that purpose is when it's based in the elements that God has laid out. The one body, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God and Father of all. When it's based in that, and we're coming together with our diverse talents and abilities that Christ has given us through his power and authority, then the body builds itself up because we're growing in him with a godly growth. And again, I hope that helps you as you consider your own part to play in the church and your part to play in the body. Again, I encourage you that if you have questions about that, that you feel like that there's something more you want to be doing, we encourage you uh, as members of this congregation to talk to your leadership and let us try to, to figure out a way to help you in that. We want that to happen. We want to equip the saints so that you, you can go out and equip other saints and so on and so forth. So at this time, we offer the gospel invitation. As we talked this morning, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. If you're not a member of the body of Christ today, there's only one way to do that, and that is through the common faith that we have in Jesus Christ and the common 
active faith that we all share in, and that is being buried with Christ in baptism. We offer the waters of baptism for you this afternoon. If you need the prayers of this church for any reason, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.